Section 29 of The Jolly Parisians and Other Novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brandon Weston. Marguerite by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. Chapter 4. Buried Alive. It is impossible for me to say how long my swoon lasted. Eternity is not of longer duration than one second in nihility. I was no more. Slowly, confusedly, I regained some degree of consciousness. I was still asleep, but I began to dream. A nightmare started into shape from the blackness of my horizon. It was a strange fancy which in other days had haunted my morbid imagination. Whenever, with my propensity for dwelling upon hideous thoughts, I had conjured up catastrophes. Thus I dreamed that my wife was expecting me somewhere, at Guérande, I believe, and that I was going to join her by rail. As we passed under a tunnel, a deafening roll thundered over our heads. A sudden subsidence had blocked up both issues of the tunnel, leaving our train intact in the center. We were walled up by blocks of rock in the heart of the mountain. Then a long and fearful agony commenced. No assistance could possibly reach us. It would take a month to clear the tunnel even with powerful engines and incessant labor. We were prisoners in a cave with no outlet, so that our death was only a question of time. My fancy had often dwelt on this hideous drama, constantly varying the details and touches. My actors were men, women, and children. Their number increased to hundreds, and they were ever furnishing me with new incidents. There were some provisions on the train, but these were soon exhausted, and the hungry passengers, if they did not actually devour human flesh, at least fought furiously over the last piece of bread. Sometimes an aged man was driven back with blows and slowly perished. A mother struggled like a she-wolf to keep three or four mouthfuls for her child. In my own compartment, a bride and bridegroom were dying, clasped in each other's arms in mute despair. The line was free along the whole length of the train, and people came and went, prowling around the carriages like beasts of prey in search of carrion. All classes were confounded. A millionaire, a high functionary, it was said, wept on a workman's shoulder. The lamps had been extinguished from the first, and the engine fire was nearly out. To pass from one carriage to another it was necessary to grope about, and thus, too, one slowly reached the engine, recognizable by its enormous barrel, its cold, immobile flanks, its useless strength, its grim silence in the overwhelming night. Nothing could be more appalling than this train entombed alive with its passengers perishing one by one. I gloated over the ghastliness of each detail. Howls resounded through the vault. Somebody, whom one could not see, whose vicinity was not even suspected, would drop upon one's shoulder. But what affected me the most of all was the cold and the want of air. I had never felt so chilled. A mantle of snow seemed to enwrap me. A heavy moisture rained upon my skull. I was suffocating. The rocky vault appeared to crush my chest. The whole mountain was seemingly weighing upon me. Suddenly a cry of deliverance sounded. For some time past we fancied we could hear a dull sound, and we tried to hope that men were at work and that help was coming, but it came not thus. 
one of the passengers however had discovered an air shaft in the tunnel and crowding round we all saw this shaft above which we could discern a blue patch about the size of a wafer that blue patch filled us with rapture for it was the sky we stretched ourselves and stood on tiptoe to breathe more freely then we distinguished some black specks moving about specks that must surely be workmen about to deliver us a furious clamor arose the cry saved saved burst from every mouth while trembling arms were uplifted toward the tiny azure patch above that roar of voices aroused me where was i in the tunnel of course i was lying at full length hard walls were pressing against my ribs then i attempted to rise and struck my head roughly was it the rock closing in on all sides the blue speck had vanished ay the sky had disappeared and i was still suffocating shivering with chattering teeth all at once i remembered a great horror lifted my hair i felt the hideous truth freeze me from head to foot like ice i had shaken off the long coma which for so many hours had stricken me with corpse-like rigidity yes i could move my hands felt the boards of my coffin my lips parted words came to me and instinctively i called out marguerite's name it was a scream i raised in that deal box my voice had acquired so hoarse and weird a sound that it terrified me oh my god was this thing true i was able to walk speak cry out that i was living and yet my voice could not be heard i was entombed under the earth i made a desperate effort to remain calm and reflect was there no means of getting out then my dream began afresh in my troubled brain the fanciful air shaft with the blue bit of sky overhead was mingled with the real grave in which i was lying i stared at the darkness with widely opened eyes perhaps i might discover a hole a slit a glimmer of light but only sparks of fire flitted through that night with rays that broadened and then faded away i was in a sombre abyss again with returning lucidity i struggled against these fatal visions indeed i needed all my reason if i meant to try to save myself the most immediate peril lay in the increasing sense of suffocation if i had been able to live so long without air it was owing to the suspended animation which had changed all the normal conditions of my existence but now that my heart beat my lungs breathed i should die asphyxiated if i did not promptly liberate myself i also suffered from cold and dreaded lest i should succumb to the mortal numbness of those who fall asleep in the snow never to wake again still while unceasingly realizing the necessity of remaining calm i felt maddening blasts sweep through my brain and to quiet my senses i exhorted myself to patience trying to remember the circumstances of my burial probably the ground had been bought for five years and this was against my chances of self-deliverance for i remembered having noticed at nantes that in the trenches of the common graves one end of the last lowered coffins protruded into the next open cavity in which case i should only have to break through one plank but if i were in a separate hole filled up above me with heavy mass of earth the obstacles would prove too great had i not been told that the dead were buried six feet deep in paris how was i to pierce through the enormous mass of soil above me even if i succeeded in slitting the lid of my beer open 
the mold would drift in like fine sand and fill my mouth and eyes that would be death again a ghastly death like drowning in mud however i began to feel the planks carefully the coffin was roomy and i found that i was able to move my arms with tolerable ease on both sides the roughly planed boards were stout and resistive i slipped my arm onto my chest to raise it over my head there i discovered in the top plank a knot of wood which yielded slightly at my pressure working laboriously i finally succeeded in driving out this knot and on passing my finger through the hole i found that the earth above was wet and clayey but that availed me little i even regretted having removed the knot vaguely dreading the eruption of the mould a second experiment occupied me for a while i tapped all over the coffin to ascertain if perchance there were any vacuum outside but the sound was everywhere the same at last as i was slightly kicking the foot of the coffin i fancied that it gave out a clearer echoing noise but that might merely be produced by the sonority of the wood at any rate i began to press regularly against the boards with my arms and my closed fists in the same way too i used my knees and back and my feet without eliciting even a creak from the wood i strained with all my strength indeed with so desperate an effort of my whole frame that my bruised bones seemed breaking but nothing moved and i became insane up to that minute i had held delirium at bay i had mastered the intoxicating rage mounting to my head like the fumes of alcohol i had silenced my screams for i feared that if i again cried out aloud i should be undone but now i yelled i shouted unearthly howls which i could not repress issued from my relaxed throat i called for help in a voice that i did not recognize growing wilder with each fresh appeal and crying out that i would not die i also tore at the wood with my nails i writhed with the contortions of caged wolf i do not know how long this fit of madness lasted but i can still feel the relentless hardness of the box that imprisoned me I can still hear the storm of shrieks and sobs with which I filled it at all times. A remaining glimmer of reason made me try to stop, but I could not do so. A great exhaustion followed. I lay waiting for death in a state of somnolent pain. The coffin was like stone, which no effort could break, and the conviction of my impotence left me unnerved, without courage to make any fresh attempts. Another suffering hunger was presently added to cold and the want of air the torture soon became intolerable with my finger i tried to pull small pinches of earth through the hole of the dislodged knot and i swallowed them eagerly only increasing my torment tempted by my flesh i bit my arms and sucked my skin with a fiendish desire to plunge my teeth in deeper but i was afraid of drawing blood then i ardently longed for death all my life long I had trembled at the thought of dissolution, but I had come to yearn for it, to crave for an everlasting night that could never be dark enough. How childish it had been of me to dread the long, dreamless sleep, the eternity of silence and gloom. Death was kind, for in suppressing life it put an end to suffering. Oh, to sleep like the stones, to be no more! With my groping hands I aimlessly continued feeling the wood, and suddenly I pricked my left thumb. The slight pain startled me out of my growing numbness. What could have caused it? I felt again and found a nail, 
a nail which the undertaker's men had driven in crookedly and which had not caught in the lower wood it was long and very sharp the head was secured to the lid but it moved henceforth i had put one idea to possess myself of that nail i slipped my right hand across my body and began to shake it i made but little progress however it was a difficult job for my hands soon tired and i had to use them alternately the left one too was of little use on account of the nail's awkward position while i was obstinately persevering a plan was forming in my head that nail meant salvation and i must have it but should i get it in time hunger was torturing me my brain was swimming my limbs were losing their power my mind was becoming confused I had sucked the drops that trickled from my punctured finger, and suddenly I bit my arm and drank my own blood. Then, spurred on by pain, revived by the tepid, acrid liquor that moistened my lips, I tore desperately at the nail, and at last I wrenched it off. I then believed in success. My plan was a simple one. I pushed the point of the nail into the lid, dragging it along as far as I could in a straight line, and working it so as to make a slit in the wood. My fingers stiffened, but I doggedly persevered, and when I fancied that I had sufficiently cut into the board I turned onto my stomach, and lifting myself on my knees and elbows thrust the whole strength of my back against the lid. But although it creaked, it did not yield. The notched line was not deep enough. I had to resume my old position, which I only managed to do with infinite trouble, and work afresh. At last, after another supreme effort, the lid was cleft from end to end. I was not saved as yet, but my heart beat with renewed hope. I had ceased pushing and remained motionless, lest a sudden fall of earth should bury me. I intended to use the lid as a screen, and with its protection to open a sort of shaft in the clayey soil unfortunately i was assailed by unexpected difficulties some heavy clods of earth roughly detached weighed upon the boards and made them unmanageable i foresaw that i should never reach the surface in that way for the crumbling mass of soil was already bending my spine and crushing my face once more i stopped affrighted then suddenly while i was stretching out my legs trying to find a point of resistance for my feet i felt the end board of the coffin yielding I at once gave a desperate kick with my heels, in the faint hope that there might be a freshly dug grave in this direction. It was so. My feet abruptly forced their way into the space. An open grave was there. It had only a slight partition of wood to displace, and soon I rolled into it. I was saved. I remained for a time lying on my back in the cavity, with my eyes raised to heaven. It was dark. The stars were shining in a sky of velvety blueness. Now and then a raising breeze wafted a spring-like freshness, a perfume of foliage upon me. I was saved. I could breathe. I felt warm, and I wept, and I stammered, with my arms prayerfully extended towards the starry sky. Oh, God, how sweet seemed life. End of section 29